Hello and welcome to another edition of Todd Talks Bible. This engaging discipleship-based Bible study is sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. And our teacher is Todd Tolles, the founder and director of CDM. A career firefighter captain before entering the ministry, Todd founded Church Discipleship Ministries to equip and empower believers to fulfill your calling to be a spiritual warrior dedicated to fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's listen in now as Todd Talks Bible. Hi, brothers and sisters. My name is Todd Tolles. I'm the director of Church Discipleship Ministries, and I want to welcome you to our discipleship channel, Todd Talks Bible. Currently, we're studying the book of Revelation. But before we get started today, I need you to do me a favor. Please take a moment and subscribe to our channel. And while you're at it, hit the thumbs up button. This will encourage YouTube to place these videos higher in the queue when people are searching on the topic of Revelation, because we want to get this information into the hands of as many believers as possible. And you can help by subscribing and always hitting the thumbs up button after you watch a video. Thank you for helping me with this. Well, let's get started. If you remember from last session, the book of Revelation is divided into three parts. The first part I like to call the beginning is the end. The beginning is the end. The second part I like to call the middle is the day. The middle is the day. And the third part I like to call the end is the beginning. The end is the beginning. Now, what do these mean? Well, the first part, the beginning is the end, means it's the beginning of the book of Revelation talks about the end of the church age. So the beginning of the book is talking about the end of the church age. And this covers chapters roughly one through seven. Now, the second part, the middle is the day, refers to the day of the Lord, an Old Testament prophecy that's been carried throughout Scripture talking about the end times when God will judge humanity for all their sins at the end of the age. So, the day is in the middle part of the book of Revelation. The middle is the day, and it's in chapters 8 through 19. Finally, the third part, the end is the beginning, refers to, of course, the beginning of eternity. The end of the book of Revelation talks about the beginning of eternity for the believers and the unbelievers, and this covers chapters 20 through 22. Now, we are fixing a start into chapter 2, talking about the different churches, the seven churches of Asia, that John wrote some very strong words to as Christ dictated these messages to him. But before we can understand each of these messages to the seven churches, we have to understand the spiritual war. You see, me saying that Jesus was being revealed as a warrior in the book of Revelation isn't a metaphor. It's true. There really is a spiritual war going on. And in fact, this spiritual war started all the way back at the beginning of creation. You know the story. God created man and woman, male and female. He named them Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden. And there in the Garden of Eden was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God told them explicitly, do not eat because if you do, you will die. Well, Satan, that old dragon, that old serpent, the devil, was there, and he tempted Adam and Eve, and they ate of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and their rebellion, their sin against God, 
caused all of creation to fall. That's right. What happened was exactly what God said. They became spiritually dead, and all of creation was affected by their sin. And their sin has run through the course of human history, and we were all born with this sin nature. We were all born spiritually dead. And at that moment, when they sat there and ate that fruit and caused all this destruction on earth, at that moment, humanity, for the first time, was introduced to the spiritual war that is going on between God and Satan. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, we read this. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is in Genesis chapter 3, where he is holding all parties accountable for their sins. Adam and Eve are held responsible for their part in this and in their sins. And we are all held accountable throughout the generations for our own sin. But Satan was also being held accountable by God for his part in this temptation and causing creation to fall. Satan in the body of the serpent, just like Revelation said, that old serpent, that old dragon, the devil, Satan was being cursed by God. And he was told the prophecy, the first recorded prophecy in the Bible about the coming Messiah, the Jesus. You see, God said that the seed of the woman would crush Satan's head, and Satan would only be able to bruise his heel. In other words, not a very bad injury would he be able to inflict on the seed of the woman. Well, who's the seed of the woman? Well, think about it. Who is the only person in the history of humanity that was born of only a woman without the help of a man in the process? Who was the only person born of the seed of the woman only? Well, Jesus. He was born of the Virgin Mary. So Jesus is the coming Messiah that's being prophesied here, the warrior that will crush Satan's head one day. And of course, Satan was only able to inflict a minor injury on Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but he rose again on the third day. And so he is still alive today. He conquered death. So Satan wasn't able to inflict any long-term pain on Jesus. So that is the first indication of the spiritual war that has been waged throughout human history. Now, I want us to look at two aspects of this spiritual war. The first aspect is the main focus of the spiritual war, and we'll cover that today. The next aspect is Satan's tactics in the spiritual war. Satan's tactics in the spiritual war, and we'll cover that in our next session. Now, let's get to the main focus of the spiritual war. Believe it or not, every war has a focus. For instance, the American Revolutionary War was focusing on the independence of the American colonies, to be independent from England. That was the focus of the Revolutionary War. Well, the focus of the spiritual war is God's plan of salvation for all of humanity. It's what we call the gospel, which means the good news. So the gospel is the focus of the spiritual war from the book of Revelation 
all the way back to the book of Genesis. All through the Bible, the focus has been God's plan of salvation. The spiritual war is all about the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Well, I believe there's seven components to the gospel that we need to teach when we are talking about the gospel to someone else. Now, these seven components can be remembered in many different ways. I grew up memorizing them as the gospel points. Some people may have memorized them as the gospel acrostic that was popular about 15, 20 years ago. But it has these seven components. And the first component, and the most important part to start off when you share the gospel with someone, is that God loves us and created us to be with him forever. God loves us and created us to be with him forever. Listen to what it says in a couple passages in the Bible. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we read this. We love because he first loved us. See, the only reason humans can love at all is because God loved us first. So, God is obviously loving us and created us to be with him forever. Read what John 3:16 said. The first six verse, excuse me, the first six words of John 3:16 say this, for God so loved the world. God so loved the world. So God was the creator and he created us to be with him forever. He loves us. That's the first aspect of the gospel. The second is some bad news. Our sins separate us from God. Our sins separate us from God. In Romans 3.23, we read this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, I've sinned. I'm probably the worst sinner around, to be honest with you, compared to anybody watching these videos. You've sinned, though, too. We've all sinned. But our sins have a consequence. Our sins break that fellowship with God and separate us from God. That's why Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden after they sinned against God. And they weren't allowed to have eternal life. They spiritually died. They were separated from God because of their sin. And we are born in that separation. We are born with a sin nature, and we are separated from God. And throughout our life, everyone sins. There's not a person that has lived on this earth, except for Jesus, who has not sinned. Jesus never sinned because he was God, the Son of God. But all humans that walked on this earth have sinned because of our sin nature, and we are separated from God, and we can't get there to him. How do I know that? Because the third aspect of the gospel says this. The third component of the gospel says, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. And you see, everybody's trying to do that, isn't it? Aren't they? They're, they're, we're all sensing that we're separated from God. And so we try to fill our life up with good deeds, being, um, you know, great with charities, being benefactors of the poor, helping the poor, doing things that are supposed to make us look good in people's eyes, thinking that the more good we do, we can work our way to heaven. But our sins can never be removed by good deeds. 
In Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So it says plainly that you cannot be saved by good works. It says it clearly, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not as a result of works. So good deeds can't get you to heaven. I don't care if you go to church every Sunday. Unless you believe in Jesus, that does you no good. I don't care if you give more money than anybody to charities. That doesn't get you to heaven. You can't buy your way to heaven. You can't be good enough to earn your way to heaven. There is no way to earn your way to heaven. It is a free gift of God's grace through our faith in Jesus. You can't work your way to heaven. This is also because of our sin. You see, no matter what we do that we think is good, it's still tainted because we are sinners. And our sinfulness is like a disease and it taints everything we're involved in. Listen to Isaiah 64, verse 6. We are all infected and impure with sin. See, it's kind of like a disease, a spiritual disease. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we proudly display our righteous deeds, we find that they are but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins, like the wind, sweep us away. So because of our sinful nature, anything we do comes up to be just filthy rags. We'll never be able to work our way to heaven. Well, there's good news now. The fourth component of the gospel is Paying the price for our sins, Jesus died and rose again. You see, someone paid the price for our sins, and that person was Jesus. Now, you've got to understand something. The Bible clearly says that the wages of sin is death. Listen to Romans 6.23. It says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So someone had to pay the price for our sins. The wages of our sin is death, separation from God. But we read the good news in Romans 4.25. It talks about Jesus and says he, or Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins. In other words, he died on the cross for our sins. But he was raised to life for our justification. You see, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But three days later, he raised up again because God said we are not guilty. Jesus' payment on the cross and his resurrection paid the price for our sins. And we were declared not guilty or justified. And that now gives everyone a choice. Just like I read earlier in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but that was paid for by Christ when he died on the cross and rose again. So now we have this free gift of God, our eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, this free gift of salvation. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we can have eternal life if we believe in Jesus. And that's the fifth component of the gospel. The fifth component of the gospel See, anybody and everybody, everybody who trusts in Christ alone has eternal life. Not the Buddha, not Christ and, and Muhammad, 
not any other human leader that came up with their own false religion. No, if you trust in Christ alone, you have eternal life. Romans 10, 13 says this, For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, that's the name that saves you, the Lord Jesus. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, Todd, you don't know how sinful I am. Maybe you've just stumbled across this video and you've never even heard the gospel before. And you're sitting there thinking, Todd, I am evil. You don't know how much sin is in my life. But listen again to what this word says. Romans 10, 13. For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter how evil you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And this prophecy, this promise is found in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 32. It's also found in Acts 2, verse 21, and Acts 13, verses 38 through 39. So these four references scattered throughout the Bible all say the same thing. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But you say, Todd, you don't know me. I am too evil. Well, God's word says that anyone can be saved. But I've done so much wrong, you say, Todd. Well, the Bible says that Jesus paid for all the wrong you did. But Todd, I've done so much sin. I'm so evil. The Bible says that Jesus died on the cross and paid for your sins, and that he rose again on the third day to prove that your sins were paid for and that forgiveness and salvation was being made available to you freely as a gift from God's grace. So you may say you're too evil, but the Bible says again and again, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved because of what Christ did. So you may be asking yourself, how can I get this free gift of salvation? Well, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12, we read, For all who believe and receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. So this is talking about a willful decision on your part to believe in Jesus and to receive him as your Savior. Romans 10, verse 8 through 13 says it this way, this is a beautiful passage, so listen. Salvation that comes from trusting Christ, which is the message we preach, is already within easy reach. In fact, the scriptures say the message is close at hand, it is on your lips and in your heart. So this first part is saying, look, it's within easy reach. You don't have to do anything major like some kind of fantastic work or spiritually holy deed to get it. It's within easy reach. Okay, And it also comes from trusting Christ. That's the key. You have to trust Christ for salvation. Let's read on. It goes a little bit more specific in verse 9. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who believes in him will not be disappointed. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They all have the same Lord who generously gives riches to all who ask for them. 
for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So not only if you caught that, let me say it again. It says in verse 9, For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. What's that mean? Well, it means that when you are trusting Christ, it's more than just this intellectual belief. You're saying to God, you know, you most people do this through a prayer, but you're saying to God, God, Lord Jesus, I want you to be the boss of my life. I want you to be the controller. That's what the word Lord means, controller of your life. So you want him to be the Lord of your life and that you're going to follow him. And then it gives you the key. It's not works that saves you. It says, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. In other words, if you truly believe, really believe that Jesus was the Son of God, God himself, that walked on this earth and died on the cross to pay the price for your sins and that God raised him up, the Father raised him up on the third day to prove that that payment was enough. If you sincerely believe that, really believe it in your heart, then you are saved. And you confess to Jesus, you pray to him and say you want him to be your Lord, to him to be the boss of your life. You see, nothing in the Bible says it's just some little magic prayer you say and you then you get your free bus ticket to heaven. You don't have to worry about it anymore. No. What the Bible says is that it's a commitment from you to truly place your trust and faith in Christ as your one Savior, but also to ask Him to be your one Lord, your one boss of your life. And it means that from now on, you'll follow his way. It means that from now on, you'll be a disciple of Jesus. It means that from now on, you will follow your leader in the spiritual war. That's what it means to be saved, to place your trust and faith in Christ and ask him to be Lord of your life. How do most people do it? Well, most people just pray. They just bow their heads. That's how I did it. I was eight years old, and I just bowed my head, and I said something like this. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I'm not going to heaven. Please forgive me of my sins. And I know that God allowed you to die on the cross for my sins and raise you again on the third day. And I know you did that for me. And I want you to be the Lord of my life. I promise I will follow you wherever you lead. That's what I prayed, something like that. And the words don't have to be exactly that. It, 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 it is not a magic spell. You just speak from your heart to God's heart, and you ask Him to save you. You place your faith and trust in Christ alone. Not works, not in false religions, but in Jesus. And you take Him as your personal Savior and ask Him to be your Lord of your life and that you promise to follow him forever. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And what's so neat about it, you'll find that if you ever turn your life over to Christ, that it feels like he made you alive on the inside. And that's what he did. You were spiritually dead, but he makes you spiritually alive. In John 6, verse 47, it says this, I assure you, anyone who believes in me already has eternal life. 
So Jesus is saying, look, once you believe in me and let me be your Savior, he creates you anew in your spirit. And you are no longer spiritually dead. And you are alive. You may have despair, fear, and depression now. You may have guilt that hangs over you like a ton of bricks. You may feel like you are the worst person on earth, but if you give your life to Christ, he will take away your guilt. He will wash away your sins, and he will restore your spirit to living. You will no longer be dead in your sins, but you will be alive in Christ, and you will feel his presence in your life, and you will be able to rejoice because you feel that undying joy in your life. And as long as you believe in him and follow him, that joy will never fade. Listen, if you prayed a prayer like that for the first time and, and you truly asked Jesus to come into your life, please let me know by giving me that information in the comments, telling me so that I can pray with you. And maybe we can, uh, I can shoot you my email or something so that you can uh, get in touch with me because I'd like to help you grow in your life in Christ. Well, brothers and sisters, that's the gospel, as best as I know how to sum it up. And that is the focus of the spiritual war. Satan is fighting against God, and you've got to understand that. You've got to see the big picture of the spiritual war if you're ever going to understand the church's place in it in these dark days. And we'll talk about that during our next session. In the meantime, keep your eyes to the sky and read your Bible. Thank you for listening to Todd Talks Bible, sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. For more information, please visit churchdiscipleshipministries.com or check today's show notes for the link. Our teachings are also available on YouTube. Simply search for Todd Talks Bible. I'm Brian Race, encouraging you to subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also consider sharing this timely teaching with someone you believe needs to hear it. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.